Welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. This episode features Jay Cousins, an independent REMAX realtor with REMAX Commercial. Jay is a longtime income-producing property specialist here on Vancouver Island, and he stops by to talk with us about the island's real estate market, specifically the commercial and industrial segments. Some of the challenges and opportunities he's seeing, his unique hobbies, among many other things. We hope you enjoy the conversation we had with him. So my name is Jay Cousins. I've been an active commercial realtor for over 30 years in the Nanaimo and Vancouver Island area. I specialize in commercial real estate only, primarily investment property. Mm -hmm. I sell um, industrial property, commercial property. I do a significant amount of commercial leasing in the Nanaimo area and I've been doing it for, for a while. So <laughs> I've, my, my banner tells me or tells everyone, I guess that I'm a commercial specialist. So in fact, I've been a realtor for over 30 years and I've never sold a house. Not because I don't know how, but because I've chosen to be a specialist in the commercial field. Yeah. And why did you choose that? Like, how did that, how did that come about? I moved here from the Yukon back in uh, 1989 and I had three operating businesses in the North when I, when I left. So I sold them all. I always had an interest in business. I've got a degree in, in commerce and in business from UBC and uh, when I moved to Nanaimo, I wanted to do something in the business field of some kind, some way. So I took a year off basically and did nothing except search for business opportunities. Found two or three, found one in Victoria that I didn't take and a couple here in Nanaimo. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I was in the North, I actually uh, had taken the real estate course and passed it up there. So when I was prepared to come to BC, I already had my real estate license in my back pocket, but I had, didn't have it initiated. So I have a year or you have a year once you get your license to make it active. And I did that. So I was moved here Christmas of 1989. And in October of 1990, I decided I'm going to be a commercial realtor. And that's what I was going to specialize in. Always enjoyed business activities. Always enjoyed business, talking to business people and sort of being a business tech consultant. So that's, that's what I've made my career. Wow. And what did you like when you're coming to a new town, and it's, you know, I don't know if it's fair to say that you're rebuilding a network. What kind of, what kind of mindset did you have or approach did you take? Was it kind of like an everything and everybody, I'll just I'll talk to you to, to kind of build a network or did you take a kind of a strategic approach about some areas to focus on? So the strategic area for me was of course, focusing entirely on businesses. And then I kind of slipped into investment property, which is a business in itself. <clears throat> when I first joined way back when NRS Block Brothers, there was another realtor who, senior realtor, had been around for a long time and had a number of commercial clients that he felt he wasn't servicing very well. So he said to me, let's you and I partner up on that portion of my business, meaning his business, and uh, see if we can actually get something going. So I was, within the first three or four months of, of being a realtor, I was actually active in the commercial business at, at the sort of coattail, shall we say, of this other senior realtor. And of course, then I've never, never stopped. I enjoyed it immensely. Enjoy meeting people. <clears throat> I, the kind of selling that I do is actually called counselor selling. So I sell a lot of businesses as a counselor, that kind of thing, although I don't have a counselor ticket or anything. But <clears throat> a lot of business people are unable to talk about business things, financial things and such to anybody except their accountant. <clears throat> they certainly won't talk to their employees or their investors, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, the type of selling that I chose to do is counselor selling. I can talk to anyone about any kind of business that they have. I know how to read a financial statement and what it means. We can talk about margins, 
We can mm -hmm. talk about gross sales. We can talk about a number of things. And they're very comfortable talking to a neutral, shall we say, third party. And that would be me. Yeah. Wow. It's, yeah, it's a cool differentiation point. Do you, if the business types that you do, you do the investment properties, commercial, and, and the, the business sales, are you, is it like a third, a third, a third, or is it um, kind of all over the map? So uh, it varies, of course. I mean, my my primary income for Jay Cousins Realty, frankly, is investment property, but I, I'm known in the real estate trade amongst my peers as the business guy. So I get a lot of referrals from other realtors who don't uh, want to do anything with businesses. So, you know, in terms of my portfolio, probably I'm going to say 60% is probably investment property. And I don't know, maybe 25% or ish is, is, is my uh, business sales and the balance is commercial leasing in the Nanaimo area. So there's a there's a, a real difference between commercial real estate and residential real estate. And the key really, <clears throat> residential realtors live and die on what's called the, the comparative market approach to value. They'll look at a house down the street, you know, what it sold for, and the guy up the street, and what he's selling for or sold for, and what his amenities are, and add or subtract value depending on how the house is or the size of it or the lot or whatever. That's that's called again CMA commercial. I mean, I'm sorry, the comparative market approach. Real estate with commercial stuff, uh, while it enjoys some of that, it's primarily driven by what's called the income approach to value. <clears throat> so anytime we look at an apartment building or a, a commercial industrial warehouse, let's say, or a retail strip mall or whatever, it always, always um, gets its value from the, from the amount of revenue that it generates. So it's a completely different mindset from a residential uh, realtor's general sort of uh, portfolio, so we shall we say, <clears throat> because it's it has to do with the income approach to value, and that and that's significantly different. So, my my own portfolio, as long as it has something to do with the income approach to value, while I do do direct comparisons once in a while as well, we also talk about the replacement approach to value sometimes as well. <clears throat> anytime we sell land, anytime we sell an industrial building, <clears throat> excuse me, anytime we sell a commercial. Uh, business of any kind, it always has to do with the amount of income it, it is either generating now or what it can generate, what its potential to generate is. Uh, and then if there's any sort of um, outlying things that we need to be considered like deferred maintenance issues, for instance, on an apartment block, let's say. So, so it always comes down to the income approach to value. And that's kind of where my portfolio sort of directs itself. Hmm. Oh, it's very cool. I had not heard that kind of distinction before. So I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Since COVID hit, have you seen, or maybe what kind of a change uh, have you seen from the customers who are coming to you, either maybe to sell their businesses or, um, or even on the commercial lease side? So of course, COVID, just like somebody closed the door on business in March of last year, it's just, uh, there's so much uncertainty in the marketplace um, that everybody just kind of froze whatever they were doing. Uh, again, because of the uncertainty of revenue, uncertainty of, you know, employees are going to stay or can they stay? Can we afford to keep employees? That kind of thing. <clears throat> is real estate investment really a solid thing? I mean, real, obviously, real estate is not very liquid. So when you're in a real estate investment, you have to hang on to it for a while versus a stock market, let's say, which is entirely liquid. You can get out of it in a day or less. <clears throat> so there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of sort of fear and risk uh, concern, shall we say, came up in March. So for my business in March, April, May of last year, right up until about middle of June, uh, there was no business. It was, it was virtually gone. Everything was on hold. 
the government, of course, stepped in and, and offered some help with, uh, with wage supplements and rental supplements and things, and that helped a, bit, a little bit. But, you know, in an active market, and the Mid-Island area is, the active, is an active market for sure, you can't just sit and do nothing. You know, investors need to do things. People need to change uh, building sizes, up, upgrade or, or downsize or whatever it may be. <clears throat> so about June of last, last year, it got quite busy for me and then got really busy in August and September. So the COVID crisis, while it was very real and for, I'm going to say, four or five months of last year, it created a, a no business going on here. Might as well be closed, you know, that kind of scenario to my business. It certainly changed early fall. <clears throat> and then this year, <clears throat> excuse me again, it's become very busy. I mean, January was insanely busy. A lot of pent-up activity, a lot of pent-up demand that wasn't being met before. And some of the uncertainty, although it's still there, some of the uncertainty seems a little less um, vibrant than it once was, I guess. <clears throat> I mean, people know now that the sky is not going to fall and that business needs to go on. People still need to buy stuff and sell stuff and, you know, service stuff and look after customers and such. So the COVID activity, I mean, while it's certainly there, and we're certainly feeling it, of course, um, it's different now. And there's some segments of that market too, like anything to do with the hospitality industry, uh, hotel, motel, or even, you know, pubs and restaurants and stuff, they've suffered tremendously. So uh, pricing for that kind of stuff has been way down. When people have to sell, sometimes they're moving out of province or wherever. So there is always the, the need to, to have your business or your investment property sold, but um, it's different. It's different now. So, so um, there's still a lot of activity happening now, and that and that's a good thing. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's it, it. Echoes a lot of the things that we're hearing. Do, is there? I mean, you have a pretty deep network network across the island. Is there any regions that are sticking out that are particularly hot right now? Well, I mean, Courtney, Courtney Comox area has always been busy. The Nanaimo area has always been busy. I miss where all the people are, it seems, in, in the sort of north of the Malahat anyway. <clears throat> so those are active areas for sure, and they remain active. Um, some of the other uh, more remote areas, I mean, I've got, I had, had a listing until recently in Alert Bay, for instance, a pub and a, and a hotel and stuff. I mean, no activity up there at all. So nothing against Alert Bay. It's just the financial activity and stuff is just so limited in some of the smaller communities. So places like Nanaimo and the Nanaimo Regional District, which includes kind of includes Parksville and Ladysmith, kind of, <clears throat> and uh, you know uh, the Courtney Comox area is still are still quite active. So I mean, none of it at this point is, is stellar. I mean, compared to a couple of years ago, let's say, but it's all busy. So that's, that's not true, by the way, in the residential market. The residential market is insane right now. Yeah. You get a listing on the market and it's gone in a day. And it's gone you know, in two days with four or five different multiple offers around it. That's not true in commercial. So we're still income driven. People still wanna make sure that they can afford to you know, pay their debt service, pay their employees, pay their rent if they have to, whatever their overhead is. So it's a lot less volatile a lot more conservative in that sense too. Um, so the commercial stuff, it's it's busy. It is busy, but it's a little different than the residential stuff, which is insane. And within the commercial sales and maybe the listings that you're seeing, is there a particular industry where you're seeing a lot of, like you referenced earlier, the upsizing or the downsizing? Because I mean, construction we know is really, really hot. Is there anything sure. that sticks out there? Yes. 
So right now there is a huge shortage of industrial land in the, in the greater Nanaimo area, well, almost anywhere. So there are people and businesses wanna to move to the island and can't find industrial space to set up in. So, I mean, I, I wish my inventory had a lot of industrial stuff in it because I got a lot of players interested in industrial product and no inventory to show them. So that's a complete opposite, let's say, to the office component of the commercial business. <clears throat> There's a lot of office space vacant, for instance, vacancies around and such. I mean, we've found in some of the major players, even I could name a few, but some of them have significant employees. You know, I've got one plant that has 60 plus ladies that work in, in that in, in admin office. They've discovered that they don't need the office anymore. They can put a bunch of that, those folks into home offices, work from home, and they can absorb several of their other people into uh, some of their other facilities, let's say, and there's some attrition there they're not going to replace. So, I mean, the office component of the commercial uh, industry is, is really in tough shape. It's got significantly high vacancies, lots of inventory, no takers. The industrial component, for instance, can't find any product. Prices keep rising. I mean, the industrial rates, lease rates in, on the industrial stuff have also gone through the roof. We've gone from a $9 and $10 a square foot triple net or a net um, sort of industry average from two years ago. The new stuff that's coming out is as much as $15 and $16 a square foot. Now, it's as high as Vancouver here on, in Nanaimo. So $14 is kind of the norm per square foot, which is a 40% increase than what it was a couple of years ago in the industrial segment. That's crazy. Do you, I know. For the office side, it's something that I've wondered, like, I don't know, outside looking in any ways, is there anything going to change in the near future? Like, it's it's going to be a tough sector for a while. Do you see any potential solutions or have you heard any of anybody kind of try to take innovative approaches as how to use that space instead or? Sure. I've had some of my clients talk about micro offices. They're, they're entertaining things that are small or shared offices. You know, we're talking less than a thousand, significantly less than a thousand square feet, you know, where you put a desk and, you know, shared reception or something like that in a micro office type environment. So some of the, the larger office buildings um, are talking about repurposing or repositioning into a more of a micro environment. Um, right now, one of my larger clients uh, is a pension fund in Vancouver, and they, they own a significant piece of property here in Nanaimo, and they've just hired a consultant to try and figure out what is the highest and best use in this market, because some of the, the major tenants that are in that building have decided they're not going to release. They're not going to extend their lease. They're, when their lease is up, they're done. You know, so we've got some significant vacancies coming up uh, in that particular property, which is owned by the pension fund, um, which with, with no hope to, at least at the moment, no hope to find a, a large office type user to take the, the place. So what do you do? Well, you repurpose the, the, the building, right? You have to repurpose it to, to micro office or try and get a res residential component on the top floor or something like that. So there's lots of questions out there, not a whole lot of answers yet. Yeah, no, it's, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, one of the, the last questions just on your, on the career side of things, you've been in real estate for, you know, 30 plus years now. Is there a couple of transactions that stick out to you that you've maybe, I don't know what you're legally, what you're bound to or what you can say, but if there's a couple of that stick out that, that you look back and like, oh, wow, you know, like I want legacy type things. Or... <laughs> well, there's, there's several 
kind of trophy kind of properties, I guess, that I was involved in in terms of purchase. I, I'm, I don't want to uh, speak the specific names of some of those, but I mean, in my career, there's been a couple of real dandies and, and sort of, as I said, trophy properties. I've had some, some very interesting uh, things happen as well. One of them, for instance, is we talk a lot about a non-compete non clause, non-competition clauses and when you write offers and such. Well, I wrote an offer for a, for a group that bought a care home, a senior's care home a few years ago. And I wrote in that offer that, um, that the uh, seller was not allowed to compete within a 50 mile radius with the same kind of business, let's say, <clears throat> as the one that he had just sold. So a year and a half later, of course, he opened up a fantastic first class um, seniors care center within, I think it was within probably about five or six kilometers of the other one. And of course, the first property owners sued him, or them, I guess the buyers it was, sued him. So, and I had written the non-competition clause and I thought I was pretty good about writing non-compete non clauses and what they mean and stuff. And I'd written it, I thought it was pretty strong. It went to court, of course, and I was uh, called as a witness because I wrote the clause. And uh, we went through a couple of days of uh, intensive back and forth and whatever. And at the end of the day, the judge basically said, non-compete clauses are not enforceable. You can never tell someone you can't earn a living in the industry that you've earned a living in for the last X number of years. That's what bye-bye your non-compete clause. So that was an eye-opener for me. And that was, a, I have a direct sort of input to that one because I actually wrote that clause and I thought I wrote it strong and I did. It's just not enforceable. So that's a, a lesson, shall we say, that I learned in a sense the hard way in my industry, in my business. And uh, yeah, that's one of those, one of those kind of things that you do. Wow. I, yeah, <laughs> I didn't even know that was, that was possible. Um, I want to jump into a couple of the personal uh, things here. A couple sure. of questions left for you. Um, how do you structure your days? Well, it usually starts out with emails. I mean, it, it, uh, everything, of course, has to be electronic nowadays with just so much information out there and so much activity that happens that it's all it's all electronically done so email to me is still a lifeblood i probably do gosh 90 percent, 95 percent of my business on email and then of course i create information portfolios on every property that i list so of course that's a, a package that the person who qualifies can get on whatever business providing he signs an nda non-disclosure agreement or something like that so i spend a lot of, of my time answering probably the first two or three hours of the day, every day, answering the emails that come in. I get in, in north of 100 emails a day. So, and a lot of them are just, you know, we get rid of them. But, but I mean, so my struc day structure itself is that email stuff. I mean, th and then at, at some point, I mean, I have to show property, to physically show property, to sell property. I actually have to go and show somebody what it looks like. So I have to budget some time in those days and, you know, hours, should we say, within a day to do that kind of thing. And that's usually... Never before nine, I can tell you that. It's usually never before 11 because I'm just too busy on the on the computer. So sometime between 11 and, I don't know, mid-afternoon, let's say, <clears throat> there's a, a whole bunch of activity around showing property and taking people to property or whatever. Then after that, it's, it's back to trying to do some paperwork again to build those information portfolios. You know, if we take new listings or whatever, I need to set aside some time to actually build that, that product so I can put it on a information portfolio that I can send to somebody when they inquire. So it's, you know, it's a fairly structured day. 
I, I never take appointments before mid mid morning ever because it's just it's just too busy for me. So at least at least I try not to. Never is not the right word. But I mean, you try not to do that unless you actually have to. So, and for a commercial, being a commercial realtor, I try my best not to work evenings and weekends. It doesn't work, but I try my best. You know, so every once in a while you have to show a property after hours. Let's say a, I don't know, some kind of a retail business or whatever. I have a bakery listed for sale right now, and he doesn't want to have anybody there when his staff is there. Makes sense. So I have to show it after five. Well, that kind of breaks my rule of not working evenings. And then, of course, on the weekends, same thing happens. So once in a while, I have to work Saturdays, and I try my best not to work Sundays. So I always want to have some personal time. You know, generally, it's evening. Commercial realtor, I can control that a little better than residential. Most of the business in the residential real estate is done after hours because people are not working, right? And on weekends... I've, I've chosen in my career not to do that. And I generally try and stick to that. Oh, that's great. Um, on the personal development side, are, are you a reader? Uh, what do you do on the, to kind of grow, I guess, as a professional? <laughs> I do read a lot of books. I read a lot of success-oriented books, read a lot of motivation, personal motivation type stuff. Um, I, I'm on, again, I've got some internet um, uh, links, shall we say, to some, some uh, growth type scenarios. So I am an avid reader. I don't wanna say it reader from a book perspective necessarily, but an internet reader as well. There are some favorite authors that I, I, I follow a lot. Benjamin Hardy is one, he's a PhD in motivation and stuff. And I mean, I, I like things like Tony Robbins and these kind of guys that do motivations as such. So, right. So, I mean, then there's, there's a lot of good Christian uh, motivators out there as well. So um, I, I add that to my portfolio as well. So yeah. Awesome. Like a John Maxwell type thing or? Exactly. John Maxwell yeah. was my hero for years. Awesome. I have a number of his books. Enjoy his stuff immensely. Yeah. I did a number of years ago. I don't know if you've heard of leader impact groups. Sure. So that's anyways, that's, that's a, a professional development thing that they go through. Yeah, sure. Go there. Um, awesome. I did want to ask you briefly, I didn't know how much you, you did want to talk about it, but the shooting side of things, um, I, it's kind of an odd thing. I heard about it from Mark and yeah. this, you know, with COVID going on, a, a group of my friends and I went and did our, our PAL, our PAL licenses. So I was curious if you could talk about just kind of how you got into shooting and kind of how that's evolved, if you're comfortable, sure. if you're comfortable with that. Ah, sure. Well, I mean, I'm, again, in the North, I was an avid shooter, not a hunter, but a shooter, always enjoyed shooting. I, uh, I basically wanted to be a trap shooter. So when I moved to Nanaimo, I, I took a couple of lessons, shall we say, with some guys and, uh, and developed a, 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 some trap shooting skills. So when I first moved here, I wasn't super active. For the first year, I was looking for a business opportunity. So I had a lot of spare time. So I took it as my job to learn how to shoot trap. So I did that, spent a lot of time shooting trap. I went from being a D shooter to a double A shooter. And then back in, back in the day, I actually won the Western Canadian Open. Oh, so wow. for the Western Canada, so as in trap. And then I kind of, when, when I did that, I thought, okay, been there, done that. Now I'd like to try something else. So I took up handgun shooting and I've been a, an active IPSC shooter, uh, which is a, an action, kind of, you're, you know, running action kind of handgun in your hand type of thing under strict uh, rules and sort of safety regulations and stuff. And I've been doing that for the last four or five years regularly. So I, I load my own ammunition. Uh, I've got a number of handguns that are IPSC specific. I shoot what's called duty pistol up in Parksville. 
at the at the matches of the, up there once a month and such. With COVID, of course, well, you can't do those matches anymore. So we go up and I still, I'm still a safety officer, range officer at the Parksville range. So I teach people how to use a handgun and what the safety aspects of it all are and such, how to handle it and all that. So I'm still doing some of that. And COVID has hurt some of that. Again, the competition part, although the, um, the competition schedule or agenda has just come out last week, in fact, for what's going to happen with IPSC for this year. So we're hoping we get some matches in this year. That's fantastic. Appreciate you talking about know. that. And then the vehicles, um, do you, did you the, the one that's in your background, is that one that you built? So that's a 34 Ford. And I bought that as a shell in Halifax. I saw it on the internet, gosh, about 14 years ago now. And I shifted my train to Vancouver, picked it up in Vancouver, and then proceeded to rebuild. I put two, two engines in that car and I completely redid it. Of course, it's a fiberglass body. So it already came as kind of a, it's a 34 Ford, but it's a 34 Ford in look, not really a 1934 Ford. It had a, a big V8 in it and, you know, a 700 R4, which is a, an automatic overdrive type transmission in it, the big rear end. So you could spin the tires and be 16 again for a day and, you know, just smoke that tire and realize that's expensive. Let's not do that a whole lot. So do that kind of stuff. So yeah, so I'm, I, cars have been a hobby of mine forever. I've had custom cars ever since I can remember. And the house that I built here in Nanaimo, I made sure it had a car garage and a shop. So I have that and I have some, I have some, some toys in my stable still. So I also ride bikes. I've been a, an avid Harley Davidson owner and rider since 1989. And I'm a, I'm a lifetime member of the Hog Harley Owners Group. So I do, I put a fair number of miles on a, on a Harley every year as well. Enjoy that. So, and I'm also a singer. So if you're asking about my stuff, I sing in a quartet. So I sing in a barbershop quartet. So oh my, my quartet has been active now for, gosh, I guess about, oh, geez, almost 10 years, I guess. We've won some awards. I'm a senior now. So we've won the, the quartet senior award in the, you know, competing against folks in Washington state and the rest of BC and the island and such. And so it's an active singer. But again, with COVID, we can't sing, you know. Right. You can't, you had to do social distancing and you can't, you just can't sing. I sing in a, in a chorus as well called the Tidesman Barbershop Chorus. Love that stuff. We put on shows in the Port Theater every year, except for the COVID year and, and all. So I, I'm, I'm an active guy. That's awesome. What's the name of the quartet? It's called Foray, F-O-U-R-A-Y. Foray, okay, Foray. that's great. Yep. Okay, I've got two quick ones for you uh, to, to finish this up. Number one piece of personal advice that you received. Wow. Ah, wow. That's, that's, I'm not sure there is one. I've got, I've had several. I mean, uh, I'll take a couple. <laughs> I guess be true to yourself. Be true to your word. When you do something, you, you follow through. I mean, you, you got to do what you say you're going to do. That's probably a really important one. So there's a whole thing around integrity and such. But again, I'm a born again Christian and I believe that that sort of operation has to be in place for all, for all of us. And uh, so integrity is very important in my business, very important in my personal walk, you know, and I mean, you can do anything and be anyone you want to be really, as long as you have integrity about it and, and you, you know, you're good moving forward. So I guess that's probably a good one. Awesome. And the last one, uh, number one restaurant on Vancouver Island, our favorite. Oh my restaurant. gosh. Really? Um, number one restaurant in Vancouver Island. So you mean from a personal taste point of view? Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh, wow. There's so many. They just, some of them are really, really good. Um, you know what? I, I, I really enjoy, 
uh, uh, Vietnamese food. So there's, there's a restaurant in Parksville called Mekong River, which is just super good Vietnamese food. And there's all kinds of good ethnic restaurants and stuff out there. But I can, I can list 10 of them for you, but you ask for one, there's one. Oh, that's great. Awesome. Jay, thank you very much uh, for your time. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.